Hello, residents of Meeple Town. This is Dean. This is Darren. And today we're going to be talking about some games we've been playing lately. But most importantly, we're going to be talking about our top five favorite board game designers of all time. So thanks for joining us as we seek to build community through board gaming. This is episode 149. Welcome, foolish residents. We are your hosts. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Your, your ghost hosts. <laughs> what, you got a problem with that? Uh, check, check your calendar, <laughs> my friend. Technically, we are recording this episode on Friday, October 27th. But it's going to drop on November 1st, the day after Halloween. So technically, when listeners, when residents are listening to this, they would have just celebrated Halloween. Well, at least those that celebrate Halloween would have just celebrated Halloween. So um, it, I still feel kind of the spooky vibes, man. I'm not I'm not ready to let go of that yet. No, I, unfortunately, I have, have a really I've had a really busy week this week and the next week is is a lot, too. And so we have a list of movies that we got to get through and it is not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And part of that is the distraction of the Hallmark Halloween movies. Oh, my word. Thanks to my wife. Also to my love of Hallmark movies. <laughs> but we, we're we going to be celebrating Halloween for the weeks to come, probably, because we've got some stuff to get through. Yeah, well, you're probably going to have some candy to get through, too. If I had to, to guess, um, did, did you also do trick-or-treating in your household? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we okay. do. In, in my house, of course, we used to do that all the time. But when I was growing up, my parents never took... Well, I'll take that back. We went trick-or-treating two or three times that I can remember my entire childhood. But what they normally would do would bribe me. They would say, look, instead of us having to go trick-or-treating, what if we just went out and bought all the candy that you wanted and just sat at the house eating candy and watching semi-spooky movies that would be appropriate or almost appropriate for someone my age? And my response was, sold. And that was how I spent most of my <laughs> my Halloweens as a, as a child. <laughs> That's pretty fantastic. No, we, we, do, we do the trick-or-treating and... In fact, our neighborhood is is kind of a hot spot for people to come trick or treating. Not because Ooh. we have the, you know, we're not the neighborhood that gives out the full size candy bars. We're not that. We're the one that has a lot of houses. We have about a thousand houses in our neighborhood. Wow. I think that's a lot. It's a lot, and so we get people that will bring bring trailer fulls of of kids over here and walk around. It is packed in our neighborhood, which is, it's great. We also have really wide streets. And so it's, it's a cool environment. So normally what we do, what we've done the last couple of years, it might change this year is we've just, we will put candy and decorations out in on the front porch. And then we go around trick or treating and then come back and hand out. But I might be sticking around and handing out candy this year. Who knows? In the words of Owen Wilson, let me say, wow. Um, that's a lot of, that's, that's a lot of houses. We, we will also be handing out candy at, at our house as well. Our house is not a hot spot. Our neighborhood is fairly small and we're on the end of a cul-de-sac. So we don't get a lot of traffic down mm. our way, but what we do end up doing normally these days is inviting any of the college students that we work with over to the house that want to, that kind of want to hand out candy and kind of miss that neighborhood communal feel, or maybe never had it <laughs> like, like I did. And they want to hand out candy. So we'll make a big pot of chili and we'll, um, play board games all night and just hand out candy to the kids that come and, you know, it'll be good times. That's a good idea. That, that sounds like it would be a lot of fun. We, we are going to be playing Halloween games this weekend. We're going to be doing all that fun stuff. And then, you know, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, Darren, but my birthday 
is the day before Halloween. I, I didn't know this. You you say it quite quite often, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it's not a secret to Meeple Town or anyone, really. This, this episode will release after <laughs> my birthday. But you can always come back and say, hey, happy birthday, Dean. And Here's if you want to... coffee. I was going to say, if you want to celebrate <laughs> Dean's birthday, go to buy a cup of coffee. And <laughs> No, you don't have to do that. But you do have to wish me a happy birthday. Otherwise, uh, you're out of Meeple Town. You get kicked out. <laughs> and where can I wish you a happy birthday, Dean? Well, you can uh, <laughs> you can reach out to me on the Discord channel. It's probably the best way. Honestly, you can friend me on Facebook if you want. That way, you can rem- it, it will remember for you, it's Dean's birthday today. You can do that. I, I'm not I'm not super selective in the people that if you need to let me know who you are, I guess, if you're friending me on Facebook. But anyway, you can connect with us through all the social media outlets, too, at Meepletown Games. But we're going to be talking about some games today. And um, wait, side note, I'm going to talk about a Halloween thing since you brought it up. OK, and this is going to carry over through like beyond Halloween. All right. Do you have Disney Plus, Darren? Oh, is the sky blue? What was the what was the quote um, from Friends? Does, does the Pope crap in the woods? That was. The... <laughs> I don't. I, I, I didn't watch Friends either. Don't hate me, Meeple Town. I know. I know. No office. No friends. What am I even? What am I even doing here? I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> uh, that was Joey that said that, I believe. But okay, gotcha. There is a show on there that is spookier we don't let our kids watch this it's too spooky for our kids but it is the uh goosebumps goosebumps mm-hmm. on disney plus have you seen that on there like have you we, seen the advertising we watched sport? we watched the first episode or two and yeah i'll i'll leave it at that until after what you've said go ahead we have quite enjoyed it <laughs> it's Good. not done yet it's Good not done you. yet i think we've watched six <laughs> six episodes and there's gonna be i think 10 okay but I really like it. I probably like it more than what my wife does, but I've 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 been entertained. I think it's I think it's pretty interesting. Good, good, good. I'm so glad to hear that. We we we, we so I, I will say this. I am intrigued by the story to see what happens. I am curious, but the first episode was so painful and cringy in so many ways and for for us that it was hard. Um, to keep watching. So we stopped. I think my, I think my oldest daughter has continued to watch the rest of the episodes again, because she just wanted to know, I don't know if I will go, go back, but, but I can see how that can be appealing. It is an interesting story. Just the, the overacting and some of the, I don't know, it's hard, but I'm glad that you have enjoyed it. It's better than stranger things. (gasps) I was totally kidding. That was a, that was a big joke, but it is, (laughs) It, it's interesting. It's not geared towards adults for sure. No. It's it's more of a teen, uh, yeah, probably a teen show is my guess. But our, our, we won't let our kids watch it. It's the themes are a little more disturbing than we would like them to to see. That being said, our oldest has watched some of the Stranger Things stuff. So mm, bad parenting. I know, I know. We are, we are. But we are a board game podcast, not just talking about scary Halloween things, but we are going to talk about that too. And <laughs> <laughs> the games that we've been playing lately. Yeah, and so one of the ones that I've been playing, it is not it is not frightening at all, though on the cover of the box it does say something about for two scaredy cats or something along those lines. The game that I've been playing a lot of here lately and teaching a lot here lately is Boob. Uh, this it just came really out. really scary. <laughs> you know what? You would think so, but it's really not. It's quite cute and delightful. This is designed by Scott Brady and published by Smirk and Dagger. And if you've ever played the game Boop, it's just like that. This is an abstract game where you take your turns uh, placing a kitten on a bed 
And if you place that kitten uh, adjacent to another kitten, whether that be orthogonally or diagonally, it's going to boop that kitten over to the next space. So you're just, you're just going to move it over one space. And that's all. Even if it's your own kitten, you're going to boop it and move it one space over. While you're doing that, if you can get three of your kittens in a row, you're going to end up taking them off the board and add three cats to your supply, three bigger pieces. So I guess they graduate, they grow up, they whatever. Because the whole goal of the game is to eventually just get three cats in a row, again, either orthogonally or diagonally. And that's it. I mean, that's how you play. You take a turn, you place a cat, do any booping necessary. The next person places a cat, does any booping, trying to get three in a row. Uh, the way that this one is different, this adds one beautiful, cute, adorable little wooden kittens. These pieces are so cute. The white pieces are like little um, cats and pumpkins. And the 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 black cats, the, the other team, the, the black cats are like a little witch hat. Uh, they're super cute. The, the box actually becomes the game board. It comes with a little quilt. You put the quilt on top of the bottom of the box. And it's got these cute little Halloween designs. And it looks like they're bouncing on a bed. So other than just changing the theme to Halloween, it also adds a ghost cat, which is a piece that you will, whenever you decide to, on the end of one of your turns, you're just going to place it on the stitching between uh, two pieces. Like, like they're on the edge of the board. You're going to place it on the stitching between two spots. And it's just going to move from there on out at the end of your turn. It's just going to steadily move across the board. And it too will do some booping as it goes. So it adds this whole other element of, of thinking ahead. And so so far, we've not done much with a ghost cat at all. Because most of the time, like I said, I'm teaching this game. And so it takes a time or two just for people to wrap their mind around the basic concepts of this abstract tic-tac-toe-y chess-like game. But it is a lot of fun. Uh, I think everyone that I've taught this to have really have really enjoyed it. Have you played Boop or Boop? No, I need to play this one. I, the issue with this and other cat games is my wife doesn't love cats. It's hard to get her into a theme like this, even though it looks really cool. And especially this one. I love the the meeples on this look phenomenal. Yeah, I had no interest in Boop originally. I, I'm with your wife. Like, I'm not a cat fan at all. But again, maybe because I'm a sucker for Halloween, but you put this theme on it, these cute little adorable pumpkin and, and witch hat kittens. And uh, the gameplay, it really is uh, a lot. If I'm not huge into abstract games, I need something that's just quick and simple I can get into that I can teach and just pass the time with someone. It's, it is so fun. It, it fits that mold perfectly. I think y'all would like it. I, th- I think she would like it too, just because of the theme in this one. Yeah, I I uh, I need to check this one out. I wonder, I think this might be on Board Game Arena. It might be. That's a world of which I have not yet explored. You don't care anything about that. I'll, I'll have to look it up. Um, I'll look it up when we're when I'm not talking about the game that I'm going to talk about. By the way, real quick, one more last thing on Boop in our pa- past player purchase category. Obviously, that was a purchase for yeah. me. I recommend. Go ahead. Please continue. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. All right. My game is a really old game. It's not true. It's not that old. It's a couple years old. We, uh, we, as in John and I did a review of this a couple years ago. We got a review copy of Stefan Feld's The Castles of Tuscany. So you might know our thoughts on this overall, but I, it's been sitting on my shelf for a while and I thought I need to pull this out and play it. And so I did. So that's the game I got played recently. Castles of the Tuscany was not, I would say, was probably not super well received whenever it came out. People had expectations that it was going to be Castles of Burgundy, and it had some very 
similar pieces of Castles of Burgundy. In this one, you are yeah, you have these your own little player boards, which are lands with different hexes on them, and they have different colored hexes where the different hex pieces are going to go onto, and you're going to be uh, taking different actions to be able to take those and put them onto your board, and they trigger things. And uh, in that aspect, it is similar to um, Castles of Burgundy. It does have those those that same flavor in the way that those tiles are going to go and kind of trigger things, and you'll get points based on completing different areas of hexes and lots of other things that are going on but it's also it's very it's it's its own game for sure basically on your turn you're going to do one of three things you're going to either uh uh, draw cards you're going to take a tile or you're going to place a tile and you have a storage so you can only take on so many tiles originally initially you can only take on one but you can build up your storage and be able to take more tiles Drawing cards depends on how many cards you're able to draw as your engine builds up. You can draw more cards potentially. But then the crux is really just the placing of the tile. So I have to play cards to be able to place a tile. So if I want to place an orange tile, I'd have to play two orange cards or one orange card and two other cards or four random cards basically is how that works. And you can also get workers that help you with that as well, which are little meeples and lots of different things that that change up the rules but but the the way that the tiles that you're placing are similar but again not exactly the same to castles of tuscany because you do have the castle um and then if you get a castle you place it in there you get to take a tile and place it immediately so there's a little bit of a difference there you have uh, uh mines that give you stone instead of giving you money you have the orange places that give you workers depending on how many workers that you are yeah, that you've built up through your engine and you again can build out animals but that scores differently than the than castles of burgundy here's here's the issue with this game darren there's a couple of a couple of things now this is a game that i really enjoyed i think if i remember right i gave this an eight whenever we played it castles of burgundy is a 10 for me one is it was getting compared to castles of burgundy which is one of the greatest games of all time and it, it, it's i would say more universally loved out of those games in that conversation than most you know what i mean like more than more than gloomhaven more than brass birmingham i think castles of burgundy is the one that tends to be from what i hear more universally loved so in my mind i think that's probably the number one game of all time in actuality Mm -hmm. okay so this game's getting pitted against that and it's not that game at all it's its own thing but you also have some kind of weird things. Uh, one is the card play. People don't like just drawing cards to be able to eventually get what you want. That was what John's big thing was with this game. He hated that. Um, he's like, I feel like I'm I'm constantly drawing cards and not getting what I want, but then you might be able to get them. I disagree with that. And I still, I still stick by my statement. I think I said at the time, like, I get that, but there's still other things that you can do. And also, I never really in this game have gotten that stuck by card draws. There's usually ways around it by building up workers or whatever. Okay. But I think the biggest issue with this game tends to be with the scoring. So you've got these two different scoring tracks, the red, which is a permanent scoring track. And then the green one, which builds up. And then at the end of every round, you're going to take all those green points and add them to your red points. Okay. And that is pretty interesting. It's an interesting way of scoring. And then those don't go away. So like I add those to my score, but then they keep building up. So as you keep building up your green point engine, 
you're going to really pull away with with this game potentially. It's really hard to catch up in this game, I think, is is one of the big complaints that I would have about it. But it's also a pretty quick game, and so I don't, it's it's fine. I'm okay with that. But I think you need to know that there's not a great catch-up mechanism in this game. You just need to score points. I don't, <laughs> it's, it's a weird way, like it's more of, it's it's a weirder way of looking at building a point engine instead of like building up an engine and then eventually getting points. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I remember you and John talking about those things and immediately when I heard y'all say that, I was like, yeah, I don't I don't think I want to play this game. That none of that sounded fun to me. But again, I'm also someone you're talking about expectations and comparisons to Burgundy. I love Castles of Burgundy the card game. And this looks like someone trying to blend the card game with the board game. And I don't know, um, it sort of sucks some of the wind out of the sails for it for me. But, um, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. It was not, it was not one that appealed to me, but I'm glad you still enjoy it somewhat after all this time. Yeah. I, I think in some ways, if this came out first, I think it would be more love than what it is, or if it wasn't in that world. Uh, but right. at the same time, like it's hard to, I, I'm really glad that they did call it castles of Tuscany, but it's unfortunate because it it it's going to get compared to it and if it's not right. better then people aren't going to want it but for me i i think it's an easier teach yeah i would say yeah it's an easier teach you don't have to worry about what all those buildings do which is always kind of a barrier the gameplay is simple just to say you're going to do one of these three things and that's it and yeah so i still really like this one i was part of it was me thinking do i need to hold on to this one yeah i still have room on my shelf for it i think well not really my shelves are really full but but it's one that's going to stay in my collection, and I'm I'll stick by my my rating of of an eight on that one. But it, it was a review copy, okay. So that's one thing I didn't actually buy this game, and I know that there's a lot of people who don't like it, and so it's difficult for me to say this is a buy. So I would put it in the play category, solidly in the play category. Although I'm really glad it's in my collection because I think it's a fun game. Should I put this on the pile? Nah. <laughs> this, is, this is one we can leave off the pile for now. Okay. The pile, if you are a first-time listener, is the ever-growing mountain of games that Darren and I, we live in two separate towns, and so we add the games to the pile that we'll play together next time we see each other. And so next time we see each other, we're going to have to be together for three weeks straight <laughs> all the games that we have on our pile. Yep. No question. All right. That's Castles of Tuscany. I, I want to hear one more from you real fast. Um, you got another game on your list that I've been really really wanting to play. Yeah. And this is one we may come back and do a more full review later. I just want to touch on the, the fringes of it for right now. The the one I just, it just came in the mail last week. It was a, it was a Kickstarter that I had backed. Uh, this is from Restoration Games designed by Jess and Hager and Darren Reckner. This is Unmatched Adventures, Tales to Amaze. Uh, this is the co-op version of Unmatched that they ran the big Kickstarter for. And so, you know, uh, it comes with characters just like any other Unmatched game would. Like some of the heroes you're playing would be people like Nikola Tesla, who's a scientist and inventor. Um, Annie Christmas, who is from uh, kind of like a uh, Louisiana tall tale. You've got the Golden Bat, the world's first superhero. Uh, do some research, research on the Golden Bat. It's interesting. And then Jill Trent the science sleuth from a comic series back in the 1940s. So really interesting characters. And this is, and these characters are set up against um, two main villains, uh, Mothman, the, the Mothman cryptid and Martian invader. So everything kind of has that old 1940s, 1950s kind of sci-fi 
uh, creepy vibe to it. So it's a double-sided board. One side is from Mothman, one side is the Martian Invaders. And it also comes with uh, several minions that you will uh, add into the game to go along with each uh, creature that you are, or, or enemy that you are fighting. And how many minions you add will just be dependent on how many players you've got going. So if you've got two players, you're going to throw in two minions. So some of the, the minions are people like the Jersey Devil or the Skunk Ape or the Loveland Frog or the Blob or the Giant Tarantula or the Ant Queen. And so again, it all sounds and looks very cinematic. The art and components for this, just like anything else Unmatched and Restoration does, is top notch. Um, it's awesome. And so as far as the game goes, the, the heroes play the same way. Like you just have a deck of cards. And it's a deck of cards. In fact, you can mix and match any unmatched heroes into this game and it will play basically the same. Uh, because there's uh, how you determine your turns is every enemy in the game has their own little bitty initiative card. And there's also an initiative card for each player. It plays one to four. And so all you do is just, let's say there's two players, you and I are playing, and we take the, the one and two player initiative cards, we take all the initiative cards that enemies are playing, we shuffle them up, we make a deck, flip a card over, whoever, whoever that is, they take their turn. And that, that's that's basically how the turns will go. Once that turn is done, flip over the next card, they take the next turn. The the enemies are really simple. They're going to uh, they're going to take one action, basically. They're going to attack if they can. And if they can't, they're going to move so many spaces and then attack. And that's it. And you'll go through. And once everybody's taken their turn, then some of the, the enemy cards have a little end of, uh, end of round actions at the bottom that you'll take. And some of that might be, you know, damage people that are next to you. Uh, each each villain has their own special types of things relative to their board that they're doing, you know, that will also, um, like the Mothman is trying to destroy bridges and the Martian invaders are trying to put out uh, aliens, little Martians into the, the open fields on the board. And there's this threat track that will keep moving down. Various events will trigger the threat track to move. And uh, once the threat track gets to the very end, you kind of reset it and things go wrong. So basically both enemies, whoever you're playing against, uh, whenever that threat track completes itself four separate times, the game is over unless you defeat them. But it's really simple. It's really beautiful. And it still feels like unmatched. This is a, a purchase, purchase, purchase. If you have any inclination towards liking the unmatched, um, it is so much fun and plays so simple. It's, it's a natural, natural fit for, for that kind of game. Yeah. I wish I would have backed this in some ways, in most ways, in all ways, I wish I would have backed this and I did not. And now I'm just watching all these people talk about the amazing time that they're <laughs> having and I'm so happy for them. But I, yeah, I, the reason why I didn't back this is, is not because of the, the co-op aspect. Actually, that's, I was really excited about that. It honestly was the, I wasn't super interested in the characters at first glance, hmm. but wow, looking at these now, that and I guess mistake. I probably didn't really look into it. And I, I don't know, even know if I was that into it into Unmatched as much as I am now. I can't remember what what the time frame was, but this Golden Bat character that you were talking about—that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize. But let me let me read just this one line from the ancient world of Atlantis. He traveled through time in the 1930s to fight crime. That's a big deal. He's yep. from Atlantis and traveling through time. And he's the first superhero is what you're saying? Mm-hmm. And his head is a skull. And his head is a skull. Uh, yeah, the whole bat. <laughs> There's a lot going on with this guy. I'll say that. I don't and know. I'm, maybe 
maybe too much. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say it's from a like Japanese comic line. It is. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, as, as far as, you know, as far as I can tell, and, and it's what they publicize, you know, the very first like kind of comic superhero type character. So, yeah, it was actually, so I don't know if comic is the right, if it was, maybe it wasn't a comic, but what this says is that it first appeared in Japanese form of street theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you so go. It was in like some sort of Japanese street theater, which is, <laughs> that's really cool. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it is it is fun to go back and do some of the research on these characters, and they all still kind of fall into that unmatched realm and uh, just the vibe that it gives. And the fact that this is Tales to Amaze, you know, again, it sort of gives off that era. Uh, it also makes me think that there's going to be more of these in the Unmatched Adventures line, other solo cooperative series um, that'll have their own different vibe and feel. So, yep, it's quite exciting. Yeah, that's cool. I'm I'm excited about this. When you say era, my mind immediately goes era <laughs> every time. <laughs> I started to say that, but I didn't, want to, I didn't want to steal that. Okay, well, that's the games we've been playing lately. Let's talk about our top five favorite board game designers. All right, Maple Town, it is time. We are making some definitive decisions here to talk about the greatest board game. De- no, I'm just teasing. We're going to be talking about our favorite board game designers. You know, we may try to objectively talk about the greatest one day down the road, but right now we just want to talk about some of the favorite uh, designers that we have. This this whole conversation sort of started. Then and I were just talking the other day. You know, when this episode drops, it's going to be on November first. This is uh, in the. In the days of the of the Christian Church, this is All Saints Day, a day where you know, depending on where where you are uh, in that, you might be celebrating the the saints that are in heaven. You might be celebrating uh, or remembering just people who have lived exemplary lives, whatever that may be. We were talking about this, and somehow, of course, the conversation led to board games. We started talking about some of the greats in board gaming, and and that led us to think about you know who are some of our favorite designers. Who do we think? Are, are great people that have uh, made some impacts in this hobby, especially in us and in our in our love for the for the hobby. And so we're going to be talking about these favorite designers. But before we talk about ours, we want to talk about yours, residents of Meeple Town. Who are your favorite designers? So I just put this in the Discord um, <laughs> because I, I just simply forgot oh. to put it in the other places. I got in I got your distracted. Face other places. <laughs> I got distracted. Guild. I got distracted. X. Uh, I apologize if that's where you follow us from. I will do better in the future. But uh, just a few things here from the Discord. Hoppities says, Vital Lacerda, Simone Luciani, Alexander Fister, and Vlada Shavatel. Uh, he says it has to be those gents, but there are so many great designers in games. Um, he'll play pretty much anything from those designers. That's a pretty decent list. That's a heavy <laughs> list. <laughs> it is. Well, some of the, some are all like Vlada Shavatel. He's all over the place. You know, anything right. from code names to through the ages. That's a well, and in, in part of my mind went immediately to through the ages. Having read all those <laughs> other designers, I was like, Oh, you're right, actually right. talking about through the ages, right? Probably so. I bet he's talking Maybe about Maybe not Galaxy Trucker. <laughs> hey, don't be hating on Galaxy Trucker. Oh, I love Galaxy uh, Trucker. <laughs> uh Steve O'Rourke says uh he thinks of them in categories or layers. You know what else has layers, Steve? Onions. Part- <laughs> I was going to say a parfait. Everybody loves a parfait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so for Gateway Filler Games, Steve says Phil Walker Harding. 
He designs the games mm -hmm. that don't have unnecessary bells and whistles. It's pared down to be accessible and it always works. Smooth mechanics, approachable for new players and just fun. For the strategic Euro games, Steve says it's tougher to pick. Um, <laughs> it says it's tougher to pick who's best in beige. Uh, I like that. That should be maybe its own its own podcast. I think he coined the term beige is the rage or beige is the new rage or something like that. I think that was Steve O'Rourke that said that. Put on a t-shirt, Steve. We'll uh, we'll slap a Meeple Town uh, logo on it. He says some of his favorite games are Stefan Feld, uh, Castle of Burgundy and Bruges, but other games of his have only been okay, like Carpe Diem, or some games of his have not been good at all, like Oracle of Delphi. Um, also, he's thinking about Cromer and Kiesling, potentially Azul and Heaven and Ale, El um, Grande by Kramer to call the Palaces of Carrara. Um, very much a strong, strong pedigree there. Nate says he seconds Phil Walker Harding. If you had him opportunities to play the heavier stuff, he might vote for Suki or Fister or Luciani. These names keep coming up. How about that? Uh, Phil Walker Harding is virtually a sure thing, Nate says. Wicked Cool Sean says he's absolutely enthralled with David Thompson right now, like War Chest and Resist, all the Undaunted stuff, uh, Sniper Elite. Since he's got witchcraft on the ray. Ah, Sean, I'm so I'm so jealous. I want to play, I want to play witchcraft. Um, also excited about the space undaunted coming up in general orders. All those by David Thompson. Yeah, David Thompson is just on a roll. Him and Trevor Benjamin and the, all the the guys that he collaborates with. Man, yeah, they're killing it. They were they. Yep, yeah, that that's a great team. He also put a, a meme on here: how to kidnap Sean, and it's a white <laughs> van that says "New David Thompson Games Inside." That's pretty fantastic. <laughs> I do love that. <laughs> that was very nice. Um, Enoch says Alexander Fister is a favorite designer. Maracaibo, Great Western Trail, New Zealand, Boone Lake are some of his top games. Also enjoy some of his others like Port Royal. Port Royal is one of my favorite little card games. Uh, it is hard to beat. BJ from Board Game Gumbo says his rotates. Right now, he's thinking about Simone Luciani for sure. Well, of course, there's always the great Jay Bell. He says, yes. Of course. <laughs> of course. Oh, let's see what else we've got here. Oh, and of course, Evan Halbert, I think, uh, makes an appearance in there as people are trying to, to cover their bases and not, not insult or uh, leave anyone out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, that's, those are some, that's, I think that's it. That's it that I'm seeing on here. Those are actually really good picks and some you might see pop up on our list. Some you will not for sure. And, uh, we'll, we're going to talk about, uh, oof. yeah, we're going to have to do some conversation to happen at the end of this, um, to kind of look at some of those that we ended up having to leave off the list. Let me, let me go ahead and say this, Darren, I had to, I came up with a list of designers based on some of my favorite games and just kind of thinking through. My list was about 30, I think, 30 designers. And I really easily could have made a list of top 20 and then still felt I was leaving off some amazing designers. So this is where I really struggle with this list. At first, I was real excited about doing this. And then I was very sad that we decided to pick this as one of our lists because <laughs> This is not a, these are the best designers. And I wanted to make sure this is at least the way I was thinking about this. I'm not saying these are the best designers out there. I'm saying they design, these designers design games that I really like. 
And that's a big distinction because there's a lot of amazing designers out there. Uh, uh, what's the uh, the one that designs all the super heavy games that you said earlier? The like the Gallerist and On Mars and all those. Lacerda. Yeah, Lacerda. Lacerda is a phenomenal designer. Does not need me to say whether or not he is a great designer. But I've not played any of his games, and so obviously is not on my list. Uva Rosenberg is an amazing designer that would be the top of a lot of listeners' list, and it was mentioned, but will not make my list because it's not one of my favorites. And so I wanted to make that distinction just because this is a very personal taste. I would say even more than some of my other lists that that we do. Is that kind of the way you were approaching this? Yeah, yeah, the the exact same. You know, this was all about you know who are my who are my favorites, and even that I thought was going to be easy, but it really wasn't because I started by making a list of okay, well, whose games do I have the most of? But then I realized, well, those just because I have more of their games doesn't necessarily mean they are my favorite, and so I had to go back and really reevaluate. You know, what are the games that, uh, or who are the designers that I am most excited about when I hear they're doing something new? Who are the games that really, you know. Uh, challenge my brain or give me those butterflies in my stomach, you know, because, Ooh, you know, I may not like all their games, but there's one or two that I just, man, they just have me so jazzed. I cannot wait to see what they're going to do next. So, so that was really hard to evaluate. And I know, I know your list has, has moved up and down and you've changed some things here just in the last 24 hours, just in the last 24 minutes, I believe. And, uh, and, and mine too, like this could, this could easily fluctuate, (laughs) you know, depending on the day and the mood. So yeah, in fact, so I stayed up real late last night, real late, like eleven. Uh, no, it was. Uh, <laughs> I think it was after midnight, and then Ooh, you know, getting up at party six animal. this morning. But it, it was because I kept, I just kept thinking, oh no, 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 what about this? What about this? What about this? And in fact, since we've started this episode, I've changed my list, like you said. <laughs> and somebody who was my number four or five has now dropped down to seven. And it's it, so who knows if I did this wow. this list again tomorrow, if we recorded yesterday, my list would have been different. Just so you know. Yeah, I am looking at the show notes right now. And yes, Resonance, he is not lying. <laughs> this is a different <laughs> list than what it started a few minutes ago when we were recording. I'm not going to do a twofer. OK, uh, Steve O'Rourke mentioned the the Cromer Kiesling duo. So I'm not going to do that, but I will do. I have to pick one of them. Oh, one of no. them is going to be my number five. The other one is my number six. That's a little insight into my honorable mentions, but that is Wolfgang Kramer and and uh, Kramer Kiesling uh, and uh, Michael Kiesling. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, they just get lumped into the same person. Um, but I'm going to stick with Kramer is going to be my number five, which will make Johnny Pack a very happy, happy person who loves this designer. This is the designer of games such as I'm I'm going down by the way when I read these games a lot of times I'm going to be looking at their games ranked and not necessarily the, the order of the, my rank but the order of the rank that they are on BGG um so El Grande one of my favorite games and I'll go ahead and say El Grande was the difference maker between Kramer and Kiesling Kiesling mm. does Azul and uh what was the other one I was I mentioned just a little bit ago Oh Heaven and Nail Heaven and Nail is is a Kiesling designer design so it came between me pitting El Grande versus Heaven and Ale and Azul, and El Grande slightly edged out those other ones. But also, Cromer has done Princes of Florence, which I have actually not played. But these other ones I have, Tikal, Downforce, Coliseum, uh, Torres, 
I've not played Mexica, but Colbaron is one that I love. Uh, Palaces of Carrara. Paris is one that I've absolutely really, really loved over the last couple of years. And then some others like Porta Nigra, which I've not played. Sara, I mean, a ton. Renature, Adventureland is one that I quite enjoy. Really, really excellent, excellent designs. And so that's why I'm going with Cromer on this one, even though it, it easily could have been yeah, it could have it could have been Keesling on this one as well. And yep, you you I know have played some of these games, but maybe not all of them. So my hunch is that is that this one's probably not on your list. Well, I don't want to give any spoilers, but uh, no, it is not on my list. Uh, I've not played. We, we were talking about this before we were recording, but he, he, these two, both of them, Cromer and Keesling, are are some that I would like to play to play more of. Um, but I do like some, I like some of their games. You know, they, like he's got, he's got over 270 listed on BGG. Yeah. And I know a lot yeah. of those it, aren't just him. They're also collaborations, but, but yeah. And you got promos and things like that that are thrown in right, there. Right. But of course, you know, I, that's one other thing that did have to factor in a little bit too, is the, the breadth of the amount of games that they have designed. I, I, I don't know. There was a designer that the one that dropped has not designed as many, even though they're some of my favorite games. I did have to think a little bit of, wow, no, this is this is a lot of games that I like. Not necessarily like my favorite top two games or something like that. But yeah, Cromer has done a bunch of stuff and a lot of stuff that I really, really enjoy. If you want to hear more about my thoughts on, on Cromer games, by the way, Johnny Pack and I did a podcast a while back and we did our top five Cromer games. I think that's his favorite designer, if I remember right. That does sound, that does sound correct. Yeah. I'd like to That's play things like Coliseum and yep. Il Grande and Downforce. He looks, it's great. It's good stuff, man. Good pick. Yeah, yeah. That is my number five, Wolfgang Kramer. My number five is uh, another one of those. There are so many games that I would like to play, and I just haven't yet, but I cannot wait to play more more of them. Um, this is one of the Italian designers that's known for the the medium to heavy Euros you know, often collaborates with, with the rest of the crew, Tashini and Gigli and Prasini and Mangoni and here recently Sabia. So of course I'm talking about the great Simone Luciani, um, who's now actually, you know, has done a lot of games with Cranio Creations. He's head, he's head of development there. Uh, some of the, the great games that, that I've played that I just really enjoy are things like Zolkin, the Mayan Calendar, uh, Grand Austria Hotel, which is one of my favorite games of, of all time. Uh, Newton is also in my top 50. All three of those are my top 50, you know, but, but goodness, he's also known for collaborating on, on things like Barrage and Voyages of Marco Polo and Lorenzo Magnifico. And, you know, here recently things like Anunnaki and uh, Talitum, Tileton, I think it's Talitum. Uh, either way, it, so, and some of the ones I'm really excited about that are coming out that just came out of Essen were things like Rats of Wistar and Sea of Dragons or, or Sea Dragons. I just love how his games challenge and also delight my brain. <laughs> they, they make me feel dumb and clever at the same time. I mean, it's like I said, these are some of my favorite Euros, some of the ones that I've played. There's, I don't know what it is, but him and, and also, you know, several other of the of the Italian designers that they, that, that team up with him. They're, it's like they have this addictive chemical in the games, kind of like the Colonel's chicken. You know, it just makes me want to come back and come back over and over and over again and play this stuff all the time. Um, man, especially when the theme hits just right. Uh, I love me some, uh, some Simone Luciani. Yep. 
Yeah, I uh, I agree. This uh, Simone Luciani would have been on my short list, uh, was on my short list, but really, yeah, those are some great games. All the ones you mentioned, Teletum is is a phenomenal game. That was a top 10 game of 2022 for me. Pretty high on that list too. I think it was like three or four. Golem is a really good game too. I like that one. I've not played a- Council of Four, which I've been told by multiple people that's one I would probably enjoy. And I know he's often mentioned along with like Barrage and um, Lorenzo the Magnifico and the Voyages of Marco Polo. Like, those are some of the ones that if I had to choose some that I've not played yet, those are ones that I want to go and play because they seem to be classics in the minds of of so many. So, yep, that is my number five, Simone Luciani. All right, my number four is by a designer that only had one game, I think, in my top 50, if I remember right, which... I guess Wolfgang Kramer is probably the same way. I think only one of those is top 50, which, uh, you know, doesn't really necessarily matter. <laughs> now that I think about it, another one on here. But anyway, um, this is Vladimir Suki, who has designed, uh, let's see, listed on here 33 games. And I've only played, I think, five. I think that's right. Uh, Underwater Cities, which was a top 50 game for me. Praga Kaput Regni, love, love that game. Pulsar 2849, I did not love that game, but it's one I've said over and over again, I got to go back and play that one because I think it was just the experience. It was late at night. And uh, anyway, I wasn't ready for it. Woodcraft is one that I've really enjoyed. That came out last year. Messina 1347 came out the year before that, which is one that I really enjoy as well. It's uh, what, what ended up making... Suki on my list. What what ended up like really pushing him over edge to be on the list was the fact that what you mentioned earlier. If this designer puts out a game, am I excited that it's that it's this designer has a game coming out? And I, I am. Evacuation that that just came out at Spiel was it made my list, and it only made my list because of the designer. Because I'm I'm super pumped. Everything that's come out in the last. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at that, but at least the last three years, right? So let me look back at this. Uh, Woodcraft came out last year. Messina came out the year before that. Praga Kaput Regni came out the year before that. And then two years before that was Underwater City. So it is, it's every single year consistently, it's a big hit. Not just like, oh no, that was a really good game, but these games are making my top. 10 list every year every single year it seems like and so suki is is one that's that's on my mind and i i need to go back and play pulsar last will and prodigal son or or prodigal's club are 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 ones that are gonna eventually have to make it on my list of games that i need to play and then this new evacuations and then shipyard second edition just came out as well and i'm super pumped about that although i've not played the original of that so anyway suki is phenomenal and yeah. Yep. Pretty solid choice on my list. <laughs> if I do say so myself. I was going to say, I love how you brag about your own list. You know, Suki is, I've never played any of Suki's games. Don't, don't hate me. Don't judge me. Don't, don't run me out of town. And in fact, the only games on his list that even remotely appeal to me are the newest one, the evacuation that just released here at Essen. Um, the rest, I just have, I've just never had a desire to to seek any of them out. Like just the themes of them, whatever. I've never really appealed to me but uh but hey that's me that is just me i'm glad you find joy and so many others have i think i'm on the outskirts because everybody that I, that I hear talk loves loves them some suki yeah you're gonna have to play 
something of his to, to get an idea. Messina 30, uh, 1347, I, I would say some people, I don't know, it's rated six seven point six. I really like that one, but I don't know if it, it got as much love as is what I had for that game. But like Underwater Cities is a top. It's number 42 overall on BGG for good reason. Right. And it it eventually surpassed Terraforming Mars for me. And um, it gets lumped in that category, which is Terraforming right. Mars was a top 50 game for you. Right. I think you would like that one. I think you you should start with that one is my guess. You're going to have to make me play it. I will. Put it all on right. the pile. Put, Put all of those pile. games on the pile. <laughs> all four of them. And that's my number four, Vladimir Suki. Well, my number four is going to be higher on Dean's list. So I'm going to sit here and wait and just ponder the subtleties of area control. All right. Well, my number three <laughs> is uh, higher on Darren's list. And I would, if I had to guess, I would say on almost everybody's list. And uh, I don't know if I, uh, at least I'd say probably 700 people's list out there would have this designer on there. Hmm. That's We'll get back to that later. Speaking of subtle, my number three is, has such an interesting career in board gaming. And uh, again, like many of our designers we're talking about, and it really, it's really, it's just hitting me how many of the designers that we're going to be mentioning have collaborated with so many others, which really just speaks to the beauty of what can happen when people get together to do something that they love and how you can even take something that is old and breathe new life into it and watch it be not, not even just like a reskinned version of something, but just something entirely and completely new that takes on a life of its own. And I feel like my number three favorite designer is sort of the master of this. He is the father of the legacy game. That is Rob Davio who, again, began, as far as I can tell, his, his career in Hasbro and was sort of behind a lot of some of the great, what, what came to be some of the mass market games. And, uh, and of course, has here recently, uh, I say recently, I guess it's been longer than recent, but he and Justin Jacobson uh, started Restoration Games together. And that has spiraled into so many things. And part of Restoration Games is one of the reasons why Rob made the list, but that's not the only reason. Uh, so again, he was known for risk legacy, you know, it was like he kind of invented this whole legacy style way of playing. And of course he partnered with Matt Leacock and they did the pandemic legacies and, um, you know, Rob was part of betrayal at house on the hills. And of course, betrayal legacy, which, which I really enjoy. We mentioned restoration games unmatched, like all those games, you know, they were sort of behind that. And he was part of the game that unmatched even spawned off of Star Wars, Epic duels, you know, uh, they designed Thunder Road Vendetta together along with others. And uh, Rob himself did the Stranger Things upside down. And that was only because Matt Leacock was too busy to do that design with him. So he had to take it on and, and do it himself. But there's so many games that he's been responsible for that, that are loved by the gaming community. Star Wars Queen's Gambit, uh, Return to Dark Tower, uh, Cthulhu Death May Die, Ticket to Ride Legacy, which is coming out. He's just, man, I just love his ability to tell stories in games. And like I said, to take something that may be familiar and to make it something completely new, again, whether that's legacy games, restoration games, uh, man, he just has such a way of doing that. And one of my favorite convention memories that I have so far, Dean, where when you and I sat down with him at PAX U a couple of years ago, when they were demoing Thunder Road Vendetta, and just such a, at least in our experience, they're just a genuinely nice uh, warm, welcoming, and hilarious guy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just love Rob and, and all the different stuff that he has done. 
over the years and look forward to some of the stuff that he's going to be doing because I know they've got big plans. Yep. Yep. Short list one for me too. Uh, and I totally agree. He was such a, a normal guy, you know, like just loved spending that time with him. He's it, funny because he's like, he's a s- super smart guy mm-hmm. and, and has been in the business for a really long time too. You mentioned Hasbro. I don't remember where I heard this. I, it was an interview with him at some point uh, on a podcast I listened to, but talked about kind of his his history. And HeroScape was was one of the big mm. focuses of his, uh, right. which I've not played that. HeroScape, but I think there's probably a lot of people who know who he is based on that. You know, it's its own subculture of, of HeroScape lovers out there. Um, and then one of those, I was trying to look it up and I couldn't find it, but one of the Monopoly ones, the, uh, here, I almost found it the monopoly tropical tycoon dvd game which i've heard is really good it is <laughs> I, i've not played this one but i've heard a, a several more than one yeah. people talk about how this is like the best iteration and it's it's supposed to be kind of its own thing very right. different than regular monopoly so things like that what he does really well is he does have some good design ideas too don't get me wrong but the stuff that he like takes and makes so much better is is fascinating to me that is really the only reason he didn't make my top five i think i he landed at seven if i put keesling at six and then he would be seven it's really because there's a lot of the stuff that i love that are are kind of re-implementations and that's the restoration games but yeah he's got phenomenal games really good games and you know what if i had five more minutes if we talked (laughs) about this beforehand i feel very confident that he would have actually made my top five (laughs) Good pick. Good pick, Darren. That is my number three. I always win. Rob Davio. Rob Davio is a great pick. My number two is next, and this is another designer who has done a decent amount of games, I would say, and that is Stefan Feld. Now, it's interesting because Stefan Feld is credited for 86 games, but it's a little bit different because, you know, a lot of the designers, some stuff, like Rob Davio is a good example of this. If you do a Kickstarter for Cthulhu Death May Die, you've got like a thousand listings for that <laughs> one game. And so, right. but with Stefan Feld, it actually is more of like, these are just a lot of like original designs. So let me, oh, so good. So, so good. Let me, let me go through the list of, of the games that I've played that I love. And I'm not going to go through all these because I, I don't, I'm not going to go that far down on the list. Castles of Burgundy is one of my favorite games of all time. Trajan, phenomenal. Bora Bora, love it. Bruges, maybe the more and more I play it, might be my second favorite Feld game. I love that one. Bonfire is great. I really enjoy Carpe Diem. Uh, Notre Dame is not my favorite, but I've really come to enjoy that one as well. You're the Dragon. Didn't love that one, but that's, you know, a lot of people love that one. John really enjoys that one. Macau, I've played the newer version of, of Macau that I enjoy. Amerigo. Aquasphere, didn't love Luna, uh, Oracle, Oracle of Delphi, Marrakesh is phenomenal and actually could make a top five list. I talked about Castles of Tuscany earlier. I love Merlin. I love Forum Trajanum. La Isla is fun. Strasbourg uh, is the, uh, I've played a, there's another version of that one, I think, if I remember right. The Is that the auctioning one? I can't remember. But anyway, Rialto, I've got the new New York version of that. I'm, I'm sorry. This is a lot of games. <laughs> that I'm going through, but uh, Jorvik is the, the, what I was trying to think of. I think Jorvik okay. and Strasbourg, Jorvik and something anyway, but I've, I, I have enjoyed my plays of, of 
Jorvik as well. And then the list goes on and on and on. Now, I don't love all of the rest of the ones that are popping up farther down on the list, but that's okay because that's enough, right? I mean, I think I listed 15 games or 20 games, something along those lines, that I've played and really enjoy most of those. Like, and when I say really enjoy, I would, uh, 10, at least 10 of those are eight pluses for me, I think. I love, love Stefan Field. It's yeah. interesting, though, because only he had one on my top 50 list. But then if you get into my top 100, you see more. I think there's probably like four to six more in my top 100, I think. Yeah, I have a designer like that that would be in my honorable mentions that we may talk about later. But yeah, I love I love a lot of Feld stuff. You know, the Castles of Burgundy series of games, you know, we've talked about love those. Love Trajan, love Notre Dame. The, the Some of the games like I, of his that I really want to play, I really want to play Merlin. You know, there's something mm-hmm. about that that seems really interesting, especially with all the expansions. The Orc of Delphi that was mentioned earlier, I know uh, Steve O'Rourke didn't necessarily care for it, but that is one that I'm curious about playing. Yeah, there's so many games, such a such a, a catalog of um, of games to choose from. In the Year of the Dragon is another one from you know 2007 that I'd like to to play. Lots to choose from. There's so many uh, felled heads out there, and uh, I'm sure you've got many people that are supporting your your pick of him at as a as a number two favorite designer. It honestly, my number one and number two, it wasn't difficult. I knew, I just knew, I, I knew who they were going to be without question. And I think I knew what you're. That, yeah. Beyond that, it was, it was a, a little bit of a, some of those started to, to run together a little bit more, but just the, the breadth of the amount of games Feld typically makes games that I really, really like. Yeah. I think I knew what your number one and two were going to be as well. Ooh. Okay, <laughs> just from our conversations that we based, I think everyone knows what my number one is, and they probably knew what my number two is. I guess. All right, that's number two, Stefan Feld. What is your number two? My number two is, uh, man, I just love his creativity and his whimsy. He has made some, um, some very different and quirky games, and has been nominated for several awards, several high-profile awards. Uh, doesn't necessarily always win them, but but the games are the games are great, and is always coming out with something new and different. Uh, my number two designer is Wolfgang Varsh, uh, who again in 2018 came out with The Mind, which was a Spiel nominee. Um, same year, Gonshon Clever, which was a Kenner Spiel nominee, and that year, Quacks of Quellenberg won the Spiel. I mean, could could mm. anyone have a better year? Than Varsh did in 2018, it was amazing. And in 20 and in 2022, he had two more games that were nominated for the Kinderspiel. You know the guys, the guys great. Guys very creative. Uh, You're forgetting a game in there, Darren. Uh Well, hang on, I'm getting to it. (laughs) Everyone knows how much I love Taverns of Tiefenthal. Yes, it makes every list every time we talk. Um, But love taverns. Really like quacks. Fuji is a game that no one ever talks about. A lot of people don't know about or even care for Fuji. I really like the game Fuji where you're, it's a cooperative game where you're all trying to flee Mount Fuji as it has reenacted itself as a volcano and uh, you're running from lava and you're rolling dice and cooperatively, like you're the dice you're rolling are hidden and you're kind of negotiating about who, who can share what dice to move away from the, the flowing lava. Uh, to get away. It's a really fun game. It's a little clunky at first, but once you get the hang of it uh, and the the hidden communication aspect of it, because he does a lot of hidden communication stuff, um, it's a lot of fun. Wavelength, one of the great party games out there. If you've not played Wavelength, um, it's probably my number one or number two party game 
of all time right now. Um, the the fuzzies, <laughs> the fuzzies is another party game. Him and several other people collaborated on doing the fuzzies, which is this Jenga style game where you're you're not moving blocks, you're moving these little bitty fuzzballs that are just connecting, and uh, it's it's really silly. It's a lot of fun, and of course, you know the whole you know Ganshan Clever series, the whole Clever. There are four of them now, maybe. Um, there's there's just so many, and he's done like games like Illusion, and. Uh, his recent one that I think came out at Essen, which I've not tried yet, but I'm curious about another party game called The Same Game. Not an easy one to search for, by the way. But <laughs> kind of like boo. <laughs> kind of like, well, really like sale, like games like those that have those like kind of generic titles, the game mm-hmm. and those types of things. You can't ever find what you're looking for. I love his creativity and his whimsy. He has this smart quirkiness to his games that always leads to some very interesting player interaction. They are phenomenal. Love me some some Varsh. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. You mentioned 2018 being such a great year, but then came right back and did the next year Taverns of Tiefenthal and yeah. Wavelength. Uh, yeah, both of those were were 2019 releases, and then Twice as Clever, which I've not played. I've only played the original of the clever games and uh, cleva gone cleva. gone shown cleva and yeah wolfgang wolfgang varsh is a is an excellent designer i've only played yeah i've not played all the ones that you talked about but like quacks taverns wavelength the mind i think those are the only ones that seems right oh and uh and uh that's pretty clever. I, I, yeah, those are great designs, Darren. That's a great pick. Really high on your list, though. Yeah, shock, right? I know. Who would have thought? Taverns would have been so high. <laughs> it, would, if that was his only design, would it still made your list? <laughs> uh, no, probably not. But again, it's it's the plethora of of games that he's made. That again, it's that quirky interaction that it leads to. That I think either some people really just don't care for. Or some people just love, and I just happen to be one of those that that love him, and that's why he's my number two. Yeah, good, good pick. All right, my number one is a designer that was your number four. Is that right? Sorry, I'm not looking at the list right now. Yes. This is Eric Lang. Who is surprised that Eric Lang is my number one favorite designer of all time? Shock of all I would shocks. say probably nobody. Nope. Here are the games that I love. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Blood Rage is my number one favorite game of all time, and it has been for years. Cthulhu Death May Die, which is also a co-design with Rob Davio, a designer that we both really enjoy. Rising Sun. Uh, Ankh, Gods of Egypt. Arcadia Quest. Marvel United, The Godfather, Corleone's Empire. More of the Marvel United. This is a game, there's an overlap, there's actually a transition To another designer, this is going to give you a sneak peek as to who the designer that we left off the list, but there is a a collaboration with Lord of the Rings, The Confrontation on here. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I did. I was shocked to to see that. I was not aware. Yeah, I knew that, but honestly, I I forget it every time until I look at a list of of Eric Lang, and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that he was a a part of that. Um, More Arcadia Quest, XCOM, the board game, which is one that I've always wanted to play, and I've I've never got a chance to play that. Uh, the Marvel Dice Masters, which I loved, loved Marvel Dice Masters. I still play it. I just don't, you know, I'm not into the collecting part of it, which I I don't even know if they still make stuff, but you, I still see it in shops everywhere. 
Yeah. And then Quarriors was the game that came out before that was similar to that. And then there's there's others that I just haven't played because of the the interest that is not there, like the the um, Warhammer uh, Warhammer Conquest, the card game, and uh, some of the the Game of Thrones card game. I'm not really into that world. Bloodborne, uh, Bloodborne, the card game. Lots of good stuff. Star Wars the card game is another one that I've not played that he was a part of, and I've uh, I would love to play that. I just have never got a chance to to play it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then there's other designs that I just haven't played, but uh, but I mean you know there's these are some of my favorite games of all time. Two, my number one and my number four game, Godfather Corleone's Empire, I think was like number four, or number five, somewhere around there. Yep. Yeah. Great I'm, pick, I'm... Dean. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, that's why he was my number four. It was a great pick. Uh, again, love love a lot of the games you mentioned. You know, there's so many in there that I've not played. You know, like you mentioned, the Marvel Dice Masters I want to play, the Star Wars, the card game, even Call of Cthulhu, the card game. You know, he was a part of a lot of these designs. And again, some of yeah. these are, are him and some of these are him and others. This idea of collaboration and what they can create is very exciting. Marvel United was a collaboration. And so, you know, his... Um, and, and that's one of the things that and I feel like Cthulhu Death May Die and Marvel United, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like those designs came out roughly around the same time, or at least within like a year of each other. And that was really the first time I noticed in Lang his ability to create something really, um, really thinky and clever, but also very streamlined and accessible. Anybody can just pick up and play Marvel United. But there's still a lot of depth in the decisions that you're making there. From what I hear, people say the same, you know, similar things about Cthulhu Death May Die. I love his ability to do the his streamlined designs are pretty much un, unparalleled. Um, there's such a brilliance to so much of that. And his thematic approach to area control, especially like in the trilogy, is is great, which, which is one reason why I love Ankh so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's really good. And, and and again, another just personable guy. Every time, you know, you see him at a convention, he's always willing, at least in our experience, to to talk and chat and and just picks up like your old friends. And it's so easy to to move with it. That, that's not why he's made this list. That just endears him more, you know, to me in in the midst of this. So I agree. I agree. I've only met him the one time, but he was such a delight to to no. talk to and and to take time for for somebody to fanboy now he does um he works for exploding kittens i believe still uh, i believe he still does and he's got a game coming out from exploding kittens but that's that's kind of where his focus is now and so a lot of the newer stuff falls in that category and there is some new dice master stuff coming out i don't know how involved he is in those things you know he kind of got it launched with uh who was it mike fitzgerald man not not fitzgerald um it'll come to me it'll come to me but anyway uh, but a lot of the new stuff that's coming out is, you know, stuff that was now being released from Kickstarters from Come On Games when he was over there, or uh, or mostly is is the new stuff coming out from Exploding Kittens. Yeah, he's done some Exploding Kittens stuff, some Munchkin stuff. You know, he's done a lot more of the, the mass market kind of things, but he's also not let go of his heavier stuff too. You know, in theory, he's still working on something new for Blood Rage, but we'll, we'll, we'll yep. see if that ever, you know, comes to fruition. Hopefully so. That's right. Mike Elliott, excuse me, not Mike Fitzgerald. I was like, that doesn't sound right. But Mike Elliott and Eric Lang were the co-designers for Dice Masters. So that's, uh, you know, maybe no no question that Eric Lang was giving me my number one. But also to be on Darren's list at number four, that's a big deal. He's got to be a good designer to make both of our lists. Yep. And I'll tell you another good designer 
who made both of our list. And that is my number one and your number three, one we've already kind of alluded to, partnered with Lang and doing the Lord of the Rings confrontation. And when we're talking about Lang, I believe Ankh is as if Lang was trying to des- trying to design a game in the style of my favorite designer of all time, and that is Reiner Knizia, the good doctor with his PhD <laughs> in mathematics and over seven, over 700 games on BGG, um, has won just about every gaming award there is to win. Uh, you know, some of my, some of my favorite of his games, you know, we've already mentioned, we talked about a lot of these in our top 50s, but things like modern art and classic art and high society and raw and Amon Ray and nightmare productions and Zuvadis, which I cannot wait to play strictly a negotiation game, a little bitty card game like shot and totten or longboard and other, you know, co-designs with, uh, like Witchstone, which is a new love Witchstone. Man, it's so good. And then that's not even counting many of the ones that others would consider his greatest games. Things like Tigris and Euphrates and Yellow and Yangtze and Through the Desert and Medici, Quest for El Dorado, My City, Celtus, which won the spiel. Oh, my word. Um, the catalog is phenomenal. The games that he's designed. And again, we're not talking about objective greatest designers of all time. These are our favorite ones. But I think a great case could be made for Genizia to be among the top greatest designers of all time. He is, in my opinion, the goat. He makes you feel so clever and he makes you want to outsmart your opponent. You know, um, his games are so mathematically fine tuned without being bland. You know, some games can be so balanced that they're boring, but his are so uh, well-designed. It's, it's, it's hard to not be, be challenging for your brain to just get all kinds of those good, you know, chemical, rushes that, that that make you feel good. Um, he's got a way of creating a game above the table, you know, not just what's happening on the table, but the game above the table when the minds of the players that nobody else can do the way he does. I want to play all of his games right now. Um, they just, man, give me little butterflies when I start thinking about it. We need to have our own Meeple Town Kinesia Con. I'm, I'm a proponent <laughs> for that. I want it to happen. I want I want the residents to rally around this idea. Go to Discord. Go to the Guild. Let's let's make it happen. Let's bring all of our Kinesia games and just have a Kinesia Fest. Wow. I bet we could get him <laughs> to come to our con, maybe. You think so? No, I don't at all, uh, actually. That's unfortunate. But I bet we can get somebody like... Uh, Eric Martin to come to our our con. Like he's he's a big big Canizia uh, fan. True. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because you know some of these designers. You start off and you want to look at their games. You click on the linked games, clicked on rank just to see like what their best games are. But then Canizia is just keeps going. It keeps going and keeps going. And I don't mean yeah. like you know seven hundred designs that I alluded to earlier. What is the exact number on here? Seven hundred and seven is what he's credited for. But I mean, I'm on the, let's see, third page, and I'm still seeing games on here that I still <laughs> enjoy. You know what I mean? Right. Like that. That's the interesting Siege of Rundar is one that I that mm, wasn't mentioned. That is that. still a really really good game. And then and then other ones on here that that a lot of people really still really love. And so I, I I'm with you now. At some point, Darren, I would imagine we will probably do. This is what I'm pushing for of doing a Mount Rushmore of board game designers. And this would be that object as objective as you can possibly be. Right. But I, I think universally 
Kenitsia has got to be really I mean, on it. I was going to say a consideration, but no, I yeah. mean, I, I can't imagine anybody would say no. Kenitsia does not need to be, belong on the, even if you don't like the games. I know, I know somebody recently was just talking about, you know, Kenitsia is really hit or miss for them, which I totally get that because mm-hmm. honestly, if you put out that many games, you're not, everything's going to be a winner. It's like, um, you know, a hundred floors of fly of frights. You're going to have to fill it up with some David pumpkins because not all floors <laughs> can be winners. But with Knizia, there's a lot of big winners. It's not just, you know, fluff of filling it up with David pumpkins. He's the goat. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that is our list of top five favorites. At some point, again, I would like to do the the other list. And I have ways of of objectifying that list, by the way, of, of the uh, Mount Rushmore oh, of board game designers. That, that would be the the four goats board game designer but (laughs) that's right we probably have a couple other ones that did not make the list that you might want to mention honorable mentions you got any oh i've got several uh i'll try to mention them fast because again any of these could have made the list in some shape form or fashion um depending on the day maybe one isaac childress granted not a whole lot of designs out there but potentially like i said has made the greatest game of all time and the creator of the greatest universe of board gaming in all time including haven frost haven all that stuff uh, Stan Kardonsky, you know, some people are felled heads. I am a Stan fan. Stan has made all kinds of great games and he just keeps putting out stuff that I am becoming an instant backer of things like endless winter resurgence and Overoma. Uh, Phil Walker Harding, who I probably have more games of than anybody. And maybe he could have made this list, but none of, none of them really give me the same feelings of excitement as the ones that, that did end up on the list. That was the only reason why he didn't, but I love everything that, that Phil puts out just about, I think he's an aspiring Kinesia or James Patterson. I think he puts out a game a week. It feels like, um, Shim Phillips with his, um, series of games, I think is great. Adam Kapinski with, with Nemesis and Origins First Builders, all those types of games make me excited to know what they're doing next. And you already mentioned Uwe as one. Uwe was close to, to making the list. I love some of his games like Patchwork and Robert Labor and Agricola and Caverna and Bonanza, all that stuff. Man, it's so good. And of course, Failed. We talked about Failed already. All those were uh, are on the short list and could have made this in some shape, form, or fashion. What about you? Yeah, so I just counted because I'd, I had it in a form where I couldn't see how many. It was actually 40, over 40 designers that I had on this list. And, wow. And I'm not going to mention all those as honorable mentions, but honestly, I very well could do that, I feel like. Um, but the ones that didn't quite make the list, so... Uh, Stegmeier, uh, yep, some of my favorite games of all time. And that's the one that actually dropped a little bit. <laughs> it was in my top five, and then I, I changed it last second. Uh, Bruno Cathala, Simona Luciani, you mentioned Martin Wallace, Rosenberg. Nate French is one that may might not get enough love, but is I would consider to be kind of the king of the LCGs, kind of in that Eric Lane category. But all of those yeah. three big hit LCGs have Nate French as the as the driving force uh, behind the Andreas Seifarth um, is a, another really phenomenal designer. Corey Konitska, I think Corey Konitska probably would be in my top five or really a strong, strong consideration. I, I have him in my top 10 as it is, but there's several games that I've not played like the big ones like Rebellion, Twilight Imperium that I've not played that I would imagine if I did, they would probably end up bumping up there. Shem Phillips is is... One, sorry, a few more. Incas and Marcus Brand, Matthias Kramer, Kramer, David Thompson, John D. Clare, Rudiger Dorn, Emerson Matsucci, 
Phil Walker Harding, there's it just keeps going. It keeps going. It keeps going. But there is a lot of really good designers. And I, I want to hear, I know people already put it on the on the uh, Discord of what your favorite ones were, but I, I want to throw that out there again because I really want to know who did we leave off? You know, mm. is it I can't believe you left so and so off. You didn't even mention him in the honorable mentions. I want to know because it's really kind of hard to come up with this list too. Because all I'm doing is going through my list of some of my favorite games and then looking to see who the designer is and, and other things that they've designed. So difficult, difficult list for sure. To do. But, a f- but a fun list. It is. Yeah, this was a really, a really fun one. I yep, love it. And at some point, potentially, we'll do the, the, the big daddy, the four goats of board game design at yep. some point down the road. An objective list. <laughs> of course <laughs> alright so that's going to do it for this episode 149 if you would like to get in touch with us reach out to us on all the social medias at Meepletown Games go to our website meepletowngames.com also the discord the guild at 30, uh, boardgamegeek.com 3407 and until next time thanks for coming down to Meepletown happy Halloween oh wait hey Dean yep what is the best book to read in autumn? What's that? Gord of the Rings. Get it? Gord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, I, I get it.